obviously we have our human families. Uh, some of you will be sitting together with your human family. Some of us, unfortunately, because of this season, are separated from our human families, but we are a kingdom family. That's, that's how the Bible describes us. And we are bonded by the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us. That's, our, that's what holds us together. That's why the churches are so uniquely different to any other uh, interest group anywhere in the world, actually. You find in Christian community, people are journeying together and being friends who would never normally socialize in any other sphere. In fact, uh, I remember uh, talking to a, a very dear friend of mine who is one of the world's leading cancer specialists and um, he's retired now. And he would say that uh, in, in his system where he worked, it was very unusual uh, that the hugely senior consultants and professors would be hanging out with the, you know, the porters in the hospital um, or the cleaners. It's just, just the way it was, but all his friends were the, the porters and the cleaners and people used to say to him, why is it you are, you know, why, why, why are you like that? <laughs> why are you mixing in this way? And he would be able to explain that's because I see the world differently. You know, my, my, my understanding is we're all equal before God. And no matter what you do, who you are, how much money you've got in the bank, what your social status is, how many degrees you've got or not got, before God, we're all the same. He loves us all the same. What that does mean is that we have uh, lots of different types of people all mixing together within a church. I mean, look at it. We are in Derbyshire, in Chesterfield, and the church is being led by a cockney. <laughs> which is a bit unusual, isn't it, for this area? So um, in the kingdom, we're all the same before God, fact. But we're all different in many, many ways. And this church uh, is characterised, I think, uh, by having some very strong personalities in it. Um, very strong, very gifted people. We have lots of different opinions on things. There are people with strong theological views or views about society. We are held together with many different political views. That is absolutely key. And you'll notice, uh, absolutely real, that, that that's there amongst us. And what you'll notice is that um, I try and keep our focus a lot on Jesus uh, because I think through Christ, all these different views and perspectives and character types um, can unite it's because it's Jesus who unites us but who knew there is the potential in any group of people including the church for things to go wrong and this is not a doom and gloom talk this is just a very simple talk on what it means to be family now um, in my blood family you know, my immediate family, um, when things go wrong, you deal with them and you try and work it out. You just don't just do one, do you? I mean, you know, when you're a kid, you might try and run away from home for like five minutes and then realise that you've run out of Mars bar money and sort of slink back. Um, families, families just deal with their problems for the most part. Some families, you know, things can fall apart pretty tragically, but for the most part, we do try and deal with things and work it through, and it's actually the same in the church. So here's some principles 
point number one, going forwards. Now, the reason I'm saying all this is we are about taking ground for Jesus. That's, that's what we do. We worship God, we make him known, and we take the ground out from under the devil's feet and we, we claim ground for the kingdom. And we are, we are at war. We are not a peacetime church. The church is not at peace because we're battling against a, an enemy who actually hates us. He hates Jesus and will use us where we can uh, to hurt Christ. That, that's, that's why he tries to attack churches. So we are at war and we're trying to take ground. So what do we do and how do we overcome it? Number one, we, we bear with one another. We love and forgive and bear with one another. It says in Matthew 18, um, some brilliant principles, but it says in the tail end of Matthew 18, or in the middle, it says if, if two or three agree on anything that they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father. It says where two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now, some people use these verses, like some prosperity teaching and others, to say that if we agree that, that you know, we all want a Ferrari, God will give it to us. You know, if we agree that we'd, we'd have a hot tub with extra phone function, the Lord, the Lord will deliver it into our hands. It's an utter, utter misuse of that passage. It's, it's utter nonsense. Actually, what the Bible says, um, where two or three are gathered in the midst of them, I, I will give them what they ask in the context of having a row. When you read the passage, it's actually about when people have a row. Who knew that people in churches could have rows and arguments or even frustrate one another? It happens. But the Bible says where people are willing, where they're willing and they come together and bring their dispute before Jesus, there will be a way through. You have to be willing, though. You've got to, you've got to take it as far as possible to get the agreement and the blessing. And then when you do that, beautiful things happen. And there's a process. It says this. If your brother or sister sins probably from your perspective, maybe. <laughs> they might not have actually done it. <laughs> but if they seem from your perspective, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take a couple of others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as though you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. I tell you, if two or three gather in my name, now I am in the midst of them. So, look, here's how we do things in our church. If, on the vague, outside, remote possibility, someone's wound you up, or they, you think they're sinned against you, just have a little chat. Just have a chat. Be honest about it. Do not Go to someone and say something like, don't worry, I've forgiven you because you're a total div. <laughs> That's actually really doing someone's head in when you do that. What you do is you go to someone and say, hey, can we chat about this? I think I might have got this wrong, but I just want to clear the air. You go humbly. You walk humbly. Uh, and, and, and 
you walk a mile in the other person's shoes first and you, and you just take a pause, dwell a pause, as they say in the Navy, draw a breath. You know, sleep on something for 24, 48 hours, maybe a week, so that when you go to someone, you're calm. And if they don't listen, then you work a process through. But notice what it says there. It says treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. That doesn't mean, let's say, I can pick on Andy because, you know, we haven't fallen out and it's just an example. Let's just say Andy Kind on the remotest outside you know, this is never going to happen. He's done me heading. <laughs> well, I said, it's never actually happened. But if he really did me heading, uh, and I go to him and say, hey, can we work this out? And he doesn't listen. Then I take a few witnesses who've also noticed he's doing people's heading. And then um, he still doesn't listen. I don't then go, oh, you know, in a tax collector voice, oh, he's a tax collector. Let's kick you out of the church. He's a pagan. He doesn't actually mean that. Because the person who wrote that was a tax collector. Now he, he, so he had a bit of a glint in his eye when he said this. What it means is Andy clearly needs Jesus. <laughs> I mean, he clearly needs the Lord. But he clearly needs Jesus. So actually, he becomes someone who we've got to try and work with to bring him back into the fold. It's actually written out of a place of compassion. My point is this. If we are really seeking Jesus, walking humbly, loving mercy and justice, Micah 6, 8, we'll do everything that we can, not just to gather people into our family, but walk with those who are already here, no matter what, even if it hurts you. That, that's how we do it. And it goes on to say in Matthew 18, doesn't it? It goes on to say, when they're, they're sort of, the disciples are saying to Jesus, well, how many times have I, how many times have I got to forgive someone then? You know, how, how long does this go on for? And Jesus says, well, 70 times seven, which wasn't meaning that you do the math and tick off a tally chart in a notepad. It's basically saying thousands and thousands of times. There's always a way back. Always. My firm belief is God puts no one on the shelf. And there is always a way back. And we don't just work that out in our church life, but in our family life, in our interpersonal relationships as well. Why do we do it? Because Jesus does that for you. He's doing it for you right now. We all want justice for everyone apart from ourselves. Fact. But Jesus died for you. And I remember the grace that we were shown, we showed to others. It's the, the parable of the, uh, you know, the, the slave who was, begged his master for forgiveness, but then didn't issue forgiveness himself. And Jesus said, well, you do that. If you don't forgive your brother, how can there be forgiveness? So we are a people that is characterized by radical grace, radical love and radical forgiveness. And we bear with one another, no matter what. The other thing is, as Karen pointed out to me, uh, she wrote a little, she actually cheekily put a note on my notes, on my draft notes. Um, but actually there's a verse, isn't there, in 1 Corinthians 13 about keeping a record of wrongs. The Bible says you don't keep a record of wrongs. So when we have forgiven each other and moved on, um, we keep no record of what's happened, which is at odds with the world. You know, I'm, you, you'll notice I'm very careful not to make any political commentary in our church. So this is not a political comment. This is more journalistic one. You have noticed that the big news this morning is that the 
EU have reset their relationship with the UK over the vaccine debacle, uh, trying to block vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. Very complicated uh, political shenanigans around the Brexit deal. And they've said they've reset their relationship. Do you know what? I reckon, I reckon they'll talk about it again. I don't think they'll reset it. I think, that, I think they'll keep reminding each other of what they did. That's not what we do. When we move on, we move on, the line is drawn and we seek to be a blessing to each other. And in fact, much of my work over the years as a pastor has been bringing people together who are very different and helping them to work their differences through. It's one of the great triumphs of the kingdom is that we do that. And you've heard me tell this story before about how I've sat many times with people from completely separate groups, groups that have been at war with each other and seen them flowing in grace to one another. And I have said it before, but I'll say it again for those who are newest to the church. I'll never, ever forget sitting in a living room back in the old days when we could meet in each other's houses, sitting in a living room in Belfast with a member of the IRA, ex-member of the IRA, and a member of a, an anti-terrorist detective unit in the RUC, as it was at the time, who had both come to Christ. And they said, we used to hunt each other on the streets of Belfast, and now we're brothers in Christ and on the men's breakfast planning committee. <laughs> I thought, well, only in the kingdom can that level of reconciliation happen. Only in the kingdom. So let's not fall out over teacups, timings of services, worship noises. If members of the IRA and the RUC can do it, so can we. Over, over your neighbour's fence that's encroaching a millimetre into your land, come on. We're, we're higher and better than that. We're, we're the people of grace, radical forgiveness who work our differences through. Hebrews 10.24.2, very quick one. Hebrews 10.24 says we should consider how we can spur each other on to faith and good deeds. So the language of the church, a family, a kingdom family, is characterised not by grumpiness or moaning. There is a difference between... A healthy critique, i.e., I think that could have been better if we did this, 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 and this. And sometimes it doesn't matter if that's going to be blunt, it's fine, you know, just because we want the best for Jesus, but not, not gossiping and moaning and complaining. That is the, the language of the street, isn't it? Uh, back in the days, again, when we could get a bit nearer than two meters, you stand in any queue at Tesco, Morrison's, anywhere, and what do you hear? Moaning. Many of you are going for walks at the moment. When you walk past people, often what you hear is moaning when people are walking around. I've noticed it. Our language is blessing, encouraging, believing the best, cheering each other on. So let's, let's make that a, a real hallmark of our kingdom family. What you hear coming out of people's mouths is properly cheering each other on. And I would say, I would go as far to say, like I say, critique's fine. You know, admitting mistakes or wanting to improve things, that's different. But if you hear each other moaning or complaining, there's a time for the lament. You know, there's a time for grieving. This is different. I'm talking about carping on about stuff and being miserable, you know, and complaining about people. It's a bit different. Like an Alf Garnet type thing. Remember some, some of the older folk amongst you remember Alf Garnet. If you see anyone doing an Alf, call them out on it. Say, hey, brother, sister, don't, don't moan, let's be a blessing. Ephesians 4, 29, 
uh, says to not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But again, only that which builds others up. And it's shortly followed after that verse. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And my view is that Holy Spirit is very easily grieved by the conduct of our character and what comes out of our mouth. So let's be, let's be in this season, especially mindful to be a family that cheers one another on. Send your text, your Bible verse. I know loads of that stuff's going on, encouraging stuff on Facebook, whatever it is, but let's, let's really have a characteristic of cheering each other on. And, you know, especially those who are volunteering and leading and people are leading worship or Bible teaching, whatever. Let's cheer on those who are working hard amongst us, particularly relevant. We rarely say that, but particularly relevant to say that today with the commissioning of Jim. We just want to make this church an absolute place that's blessed to be involved in, don't we? And, and look so different to the world that people just want to be part of it because we are so different. That, that's what I want for us anyway. I'm trying to gauge a reaction from your Zoom faces, but I'm hoping... Uh, I'm looking for encouraging, encouraging smiles back. Yes, Carl, absolutely spot on. So that's that's so important, I think. Ephesians 4.29, Hebrews 10.24. And you would have heard me say this before, but um, I, I was so, uh, well, I found it humorous, actually, but I was so struck by many years ago reading about this woman called Margaret Kuhn, who developed her whole life to the study of geese uh, flying in the V formation the whole of her life, studying geese in the V formation. And they tried to work out why the geese honk in the V formation in this rhythmic pattern. But the lead goose doesn't you know, make any noise. And long story short, because some of you had heard me say this before, but the, the lead goose is taking something like 25% more wind pressure at the front. Uh, so every other goose flies in its slipstream. And they worked out that the only reason the other geese honk is not directional, that's done in another way. It's purely to keep the one in the front going. And then after a short period of time, that lead goose, it banks off. That was a goose impression there. The lead goose banks off and slips into the formation at the back where it's easiest. The next goose slips up the front and stops honking. And the other one starts honking. And when any goose is shot or injured, and it falls out of the formation, always two geese go down with it and stay with it until either dead or recovered. I think the church can learn a lot from that. Honking. We need to be a honking church. Honking at each other. Seriously. And cheering each other on. And when someone falls by the wayside, we remember them. And we journey with them. I'm giving you that illustration. It's an easy one to remember. Honk. <laughs> Cheer each other on. Ephesians 4.29 and Hebrews 10.24 are the honking verses. Simple as that. Um, uh, it basically is about speaking life over one another. Having said that, there is also a place where we understand that sometimes life is tough and we need to weep with people and grieve with people. Yeah. And uh, I think Romans 12, for me, as many of you know, is, is, some, is the mandate for kingdom living. So I am going to read it and take the time to do that because I think it's important. I believe it's a watch word for us. I think it's so critical. And I'm just going to highlight a couple of verses in it. This is 
If we can live like this as a church, we're going to smash it. Seriously. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Sincere love. Not saying I love them, I don't like them. If you're saying that about someone, go to like them. Spend time with them. Spend time with people not like you. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. That means speaking well of other people. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Can't quite do that at the moment, but we could treat that to have loads of walks. Uh, bless those who persecute you, bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people in low position. Don't be conceited. Uh, it goes on to say, you can read it through later. Even if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. He's doing his heat, burning coals in his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes we weep together. Sometimes we laugh together. That, that's how we do life. It's okay to cry. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to vent. That is different to being an Afghanit. It's okay to get things off your chest and we cheer each other on. We support one another in this. And sometimes, do you know what we need to do for each other? Just listen. And remember, and I'm saying this again in the context, I rarely talk like this, of Jim coming on board. Your leaders are human too. They're, they're human too. And they, and they carry stuff. They'll have stuff going on in their own lives, their own pressures. And it's very easy um, sometimes to vent at leadership. And that's partly what they're there for, I guess. But be kind. And I'm thankful that you all are. But let's remember that going forward. We're all just pilgrims on a journey together, giving it our best shot. Um, I think I'll finish by saying this. Um, the Bible is very clear on all of this stuff around loving one another, um, being kind, being a blessing. Um, but I was very struck by these verses at the end of Revelation. I've been looking at Revelation afresh again lately. And you'd have heard me say this. I just want to underline this point. Um, this life is very short. Very short. Um, it, it's weird actually how sometimes things can seem to drag on for ages and then you look back and it's all gone in a blink of an eye you know I, I think when you do this job one, you know this particular role you, you end up going to more funerals than a lot of people and you, you see people at the end of their life more than most people unless you're in medicine and stuff but you actually with family a lot and you go through that grieving process and I've heard so many times people over the years at different funerals and in eulogies words like it only seemed like yesterday we were kids it only seemed like yesterday we got married it only seemed like yesterday when this happened and it's gone it goes fast that's hard but there's this beautiful promise says this, it's Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. These things shall pass. This life will one day be over. The old order of things will be gone. And one day we will be at home together as a family of God's people. And there'll be all sorts of crazy reunions, all sorts of crazy moments. And you'll look round and I'll be standing behind you and you go, oh, no. He's, he's there. <laughs> You'll be like, how did he get in? And I'll be like, how did you get in? And we got home together because of Christ. You know, look around the virtual Zoom room family. You're going to have to spend eternity with this lot. It's good, isn't it? We'll be home together one day. All of us and all those we loved and knew, knew the Lord will be there. Fact. So let's not let pettiness get in the way of doing beautiful things for Jesus. Let's, let's, let's do this life well together and spur one another on across the finishing line as best we can. Let's, let's characterise this church by being just a place of joy and blessing. Let me pray. And then I've just got a little cheeky idea caught in my head and I'll hand over to Jim. Let me, let me pray. Help us to live out these words, Father. Be your people. Cheering each other on across the finishing line. Thank you for the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It means we can cross the finishing line and be home with you. 10,000 years from now, worshipping you together, along with a massive multitude. For strengthen us, help us, equip us, for us with joy, help us to live out these verses Help us to be a people of peace, even in the midst of the storm. In Jesus' name, amen.